Hey everyone, Tom and I are here on this uh, Your Amigos podcast edition with an old friend, Kevin Kelly. I should say a longtime friend, not an old friend. Um, and we're going to talk about exciting data presented at ESMO about a um, steep one CD3 by specific, if I remember correctly. So Kevin, go ahead and introduce yourself and then maybe give us just a short summary of the data you presented at ESMO and then and Tom and I will jump in with some questions. All right. Well, I appreciate be, uh, you and Tom invite me for on this podcast here. Um, I'm a, a, a chair of medical oncology at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia and associate director of clinical research, uh, also in the cancer center here. Uh, and have been involved with uh, uh, this new drug called salrutamig uh, or AMG509. This was a phase one uh, study, dose escalation study in patients with hormone refractory prostate cancer. Uh, for those who don't know STEEP1, STEEP1 is a cell surface antigen that's highly expressed in prostate cancer. Um, and it's not really, uh, really minimally uh, expressed on normal tissue. Uh, so it's really uh, highly sensitive for prostate cancer. Uh, a lot of people ask me the difference between that and PSMA. Uh, it's more hom homogeneous uh, uptake throughout the tumor than uh, PSMA, and it's high, more highly expressed than PSMA in uh, prostate tumor. So there's difference there, but it doesn't have the off-target uh, uh, off side effects because PSMA is uh, expressed in other tissues. Uh, steep one is not really. So that's one of the big difference of the target here, which is important. Uh, but as, as you said, uh, Zalrutamig is a, uh, what we call an XMAB, a two by, uh, plus one design, um, which is really uh, increases sensitivity and specificity for the uh, drug itself. So this, uh, this was phase one where we actually uh, did uh, 12 different dose uh, escalation uh, uh, schemas there. Uh, and we found out that you really have to uh, start at low dose and uh, do step dosing all the way up. So we went from uh, 0.1 uh, and uh, the fourth dose that we actually gave was 1.5 on a weekly basis. And Kevin, just to interrupt for a sec, that, that stepwise dosing, that's to prevent cytokine release or other similar side effects, is that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we went up, uh, it was very interesting. We went from point, uh, 0.1 to 0.3 and 0.3 was a dose limiting toxicity. Uh, if we just gave 0.3 uh, as first dose, and CRS was the dose limiting toxicity at that way. So we actually uh, gave pre-medications before, then went from 0 0.1, 0 0.3 uh, to 1 to 1 1.5 with pre-medications. We did not see any further uh, grade three or four CRS. Now there's generalized low grade CRS that we did see that was controlled with uh, uh, steroids and also uh, tocilizumab if needed. And what symptoms are there for cytokine release syndrome? What does that look like from a patient perspective? Yeah, fever was the number one thing that we've felt. Fevers and chills um, is uh, the main thing. Uh, we did see a little bit of hypertension, but you know, one of the things that we do before we, uh, we give this is we hold all hypertensive medications. We're dealing with the elderly populations. They're on <laughs> medicines, you know. And most of these patients that were really dehydrated, so really hydrated beforehand. And once we did that, hypertension was not really a problem. We had uh, you, maybe one patient with hypoxia, that's it. Uh, will you tell me, just you got into a phase one in prostate cancer is a bit unusual because it's hard, you know, it's a harder population. It's hard to know what's going on with measurable disease with the cancer. 
What's the rationale for prostate cancer with this drug? And what other cancers might it be active in? Yeah, uh, there's two uh, two of them really. Is 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 uh, uh, steep one is really highly expressing prostate cancer. If you look across the expression, uh, it, it, it's a red flag in uh, prostate cancer. The other one is human sarcoma, um, <laughs> and this is a, uh, a very high expressed steep one in human sarcoma. So that's going to probably be the next uh, disease they'll tackle. And Kevin, it sounds like this, I mean, to Tom's point, is pretty cumbersome, right? I mean, you had a lot of dosing, the stepwise dosing, you're dealing with a, an elderly population and the patients were admitted, is that right? Correct. You know, the first dose was for 48 hours, uh, uh, second, third, fourth, and uh, fourth dose was 24 hours in the hospital. We're now in, uh, moving this to an outpatient regimen. Um, and we're trying to, uh, because this, it, we really need to make sure we can get this as an outpatient, give it safely. And William, how exactly does the bispecific work? Because we hear a lot about the word bispecific and it's CD, it's a CD3 bispecific. How does that engage with wider, the wider immune system? Yeah, again, it's that, uh, this is a construct of st uh, steep and CD3. Uh, so the CD3s are on the T cells and attract that T cells and engages them. Um, what's unique about this uh, uh, bispecific is, is, is that uh, two FC arms are actually steep oriented, so they both have to bind to the cell surface, and they have the increased specificity to the cell surface because of this du dual binding. So essentially, you're bringing you're bringing T cells, activated T cells via CD3, targeted to prostate cancer. Immune therapy's not had a great track record, or some. I mean, I guess the dendrium folks might say. Cipulu cell T was active, but it's not had a great track record in prostate in prostate cancer. Why did you think that this would be different? Well, initially we didn't. Um, you know, I think that you know it was a, a novel target. Um, you know, previously they had an ADC uh, with steep one, which showed some activity and showed some targeting. Uh, so that was the initial uh, uh, premises for this. Uh, but there's a lot of toxicity associated with it. Uh, so um, this was a uh, initially a very small trial until we saw uh, responses, even in the first cohort, which was actually very interesting. Should we talk about that now? Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe one question before we go to activity. I don't think you presented this, but the idea is you're bringing CD3 positive T cells to the area. I mean, is there pharmacodynamic data that that's actually happening? I guess presumably if patients respond, it's happening, but. Yeah, I yeah, that's a great question. Nobody knows that. And, you know, really is this is that um, we we tried to do pre and post biopsies, but as you know, in prostate cancer, that's yeah. extremely difficult. Uh, but, you know, that's the question is, is, is how are how is it being induced? Um, we assume it is by uh, the CD3 induction, but I'm sure it's a little more complicated than that. And there's no peripheral blood marker. You wouldn't necessarily expect peripheral T cell markers to go up. Well, you, you do see them go up. I mean, you see some T cell margination there. Uh, you do see some T cell activation, but it's very transient. Um, you know, you do see the cytokines go up. Uh, so you see the normal things of T cell activation. Uh, but they're transient and they uh, typically reverse in 48 to 72 hours. Okay. So tell us about the activity that you saw. Yeah, again, I said we looked at both um, the PSA uh, decline, both at PSA not, uh, 50 and 90, 
And what we did is, is, is we looked at high dose and low dose, and this was really defined on what was the therapeutic level that we actually saw in preclinical models. All right, and you know, it, it doses above 0.75 milligrams was considered the high dose because that was in therapeutic range of preclinical models. Low dose was below uh, 0.75 milligrams. If you look at PSA 50, um, high uh, low dose, it was 40 percent. Uh, high dose is 59 percent. PSA 50, PSA 90, and these patients go down to almost non-detectable. Uh, it was uh, overall, it was 28%, 19% for the low dose, 36% uh, uh, for the high dose there. And this if we look at refractory, as I remember, yeah. a widely refractory population, yeah. Yeah. And a, a third of these had liver disease, all yeah. right, massive liver disease. And these, they, these were big time uh, end stage patients. Um, and if we look at measurable response, uh, if you look at the high dose um, cohort, 41% uh, got a partial response. Yeah. And did you see these responses quickly? I mean, I guess you must have in this refractory patient or they wouldn't have responded. That, that's that's the thing. Within four weeks, they all responded. You knew in four weeks if you're having a response. And yeah. what about durability of response? Because one of the characteristics, I guess, of of T-cell therapy should be durability. Absolutely. And if you look at the partial responses, um, you know, uh, you know, there is, uh, if you look at the 16 that uh, had the partial responses there, median duration was 9.2 months at plus. So they're still going on. And the total number of patients, Kevin, I forgot it was. There was 97. Yeah, oh, so wow. big and not a small number, right? A big, yeah. big chunk of patients. Um, this is like this is an unexpected finding. Were there subgroups of patients in whom it didn't work, and were there some baseline characteristics which were which would define response and non-response, or was it irrespective of levels of castrate resistance and irrespective of visceral metastasis? Was there a was there a sort of a subgroup of patients that did particularly well? For example, lymph node-only patients. Well, I mean, the, the interesting is, 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 is that we saw complete responses in bone. I have patients who, uh, you know, had complete responses in bone and been off drug for a year. All right. I've had patients with uh, massive liver disease that just shrunk down almost to nothing. All right. Um, you know, and, you know, I think that it's, it's hard to really uh, get what subset, because this was a uh, 12, we have 14 different cohorts at different uh, <laughs> <laughs> different uh, um, uh, dosing levels. So it's hard to really answer what is the uh, characteristic of the patients that respond. We just know that there's a broad response. Remember, is that from cohort one on, we saw response, PSA responses. You uh, saw responses in, in visceral disease, not just node only or low volume disease. We yeah. had... We had significant uh, liver regression. This is actually very active in liver disease, which you know is one of the things that we should really think about uh, might be uh, utilized there. Did did any patients like have neuroendocrine dedifferentiation? Do you know that from previous biopsies? Because he had a lot of liver disease or not? Yeah, we didn't biopsy them all. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, you have to realize this. This was done you know, throughout the world, so we were really trying to coordinate multiple sites. So. And, you know, I think that, that those are some of the things that we need to do as we go forward is doing pre and post biopsies, looking at population, understand the mechanism of this a little better.
what are the next steps with this, William? Yeah. What happens next? Because it looks really promising. Lots of people were excited about it at the meeting. Um, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, I think there's going to be a you know couple. Uh, first of all, we're going to try to uh, get this an outpatient uh, regimen. All right. Um, you know, I think that really needs to uh, try to do that. Uh, there's some uh, plans on the books to do that. Uh, they are going to look at, um, you know, uh, um uh, in advanced disease after uh, no uh, um, standard therapies against the standard of care. Uh, they're going to actually move it up earlier into more hormone sensitive settings. Um, they're also thinking about uh, even moving it up uh, further. Um, I mean, therapies like this, they should technically work very well in biochemical recurrence. All right. Um, so they're thinking of the random, full spectrum. Are these randomized trials or are these still more phase two trials to find the right place and the right, right, right they're, formulation? They're, they're planning in probably in the next uh, 12 months going randomized trials. I mean, you almost think, given its activity sort of in an advanced setting, like a big single arm could lead to some sort of accelerated approval. I mean, I don't want to give any regulatory advice in this podcast, but like you're talking about you know, high response rates in liver disease, right? Post chemo, I assume most of these patients had chemo. Yeah. So, you know, I'll tell you something. Ten years ago, I was on ODAC. And yeah, remember, right. we had that ODAC and they talked about uh, what would uh, we had the stressful thing on prostate cancer and response and uh you know, uh, different endpoints. And we, we talked about what we would actually uh, want to see to approve a drug straight out. We said is we want a, 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 a high response for durability from nine to 12 months. Yeah, there you go. What do we see? <laughs> I mean, just but follow your own so advice. Many, That's on, so on record at FDA. <laughs> with, so, with so many new and with new immune therapies, therapies we saw Lutetium, and we saw a laparib, and, and lots of options in this space. New therapies, is this, yeah. this going to be a new therapy as a monotherapy, or are you going to be combining with other partners? Yeah, I think that it's going to be a combination of both. Um, it's going to be de developed as monotherapy and combined therapies. Um, I mean, you know, the question is, 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 is it really, is, is how do you combine this with their radial ligands? You know. Um, you know, uh, so there's a lot of opportunities to uh, synergize with this type of therapy. I mean, it seems like given the the tolerability profile, which was good, but obviously it's, you know, it's a bit cumbersome and you get CRS and things like that and the activity that I don't, do you need to combine it? I mean, it seems like a pretty good activity in a really heavily refractory population, even yeah. if you just moved it up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I think, you know, more, first of all, more people need to start using it to, you yeah. know, make sure we need to get some smart people uh, in here to really, you know, <laughs> tell us how it's really. Well, that won't be, it won't be me and Brian helping you then. Yeah, I don't be, know. You guys uh, Brian pretty, out the question. <laughs> disappointing. <laughs> but uh, I think that, you know, uh, there's a lot of possibilities. And I yeah. think that, you know, um, you know, it, it, I think the important things of this this trial here is this prostate cancer was considered a cold tumor. All right. And Tom, you've written about this, so you know about it. And, it, you know, uh, what this shows is, is that prostate can be at T cells can be activated in prostate cancer. So it really, you know, uh, we can actually think about how we actually can do immunotherapy in prostate cancer, which, you know, I think a lot of the other trials 
were not as encouraging. Yeah, I mean, we saw two negative phase threes at ESMO. You know, right. a lot of we treat a lot of patients with prostate immune therapy with relatively little benefit. These data not yeah. not was well, like and just last question for me. And again, congrats on the data. Is I think we were talking before we started recording. There have been some PSMA based by specifics, right, or, or CD or bites, and those haven't succeeded. Or I don't, I just don't know the data. Yeah, I mean, they haven't been as active as they uh, uh, hoped. Um, I mean, there's a uh, little more toxicity associated with them, uh, but they haven't seen the clinical activity uh, as, as such as the zalutamig. Just a target difference? Just a, I mean, that's the only difference, right? It's a target difference, but, you know, there, there could be more complicated reasons why. Um, yeah. You know, um, I think that, you know, time will tell. Uh, and... Uh, we just have to understand, you make sure what is the exact mechanism. Well, we, we, it looks like immunotherapy. Are there other things at play here? Yeah. William, do you need, think you will need to show on treatment biopsy showing the transformation from, you know, a desert into an inflamed type tumor? Do you think you'll need to show these T cell activations for proof of principle? Or, or do you think we're just gonna, this is going to be another immune therapy which kind of has early promising data, but never translates into that sort of big randomized. Because the, the story of immune therapy and prostate cancer with hep C. He's such a pessimist, I'm sorry. Oh, well, I, maybe it, <laughs> might, it might be a late at night thing. It might be a post-ESMO late at night thing, William. I don't know. But do you think, I mean, is it crucial to show those sequential, because I agree with you. I mean, the, the, the issue with immune checkpoint inhibition is there was always going to be an issue in prostate cancer because there's no, there's nothing to, that to energize but if you can activate um the immunity with um immune infiltration and show that on a biopsy and then you add in a pd1 inhibitor in combination then suddenly you got activated t cells and you you know i think that if this really works you might i know it sounds crazy but you might this might be if if you could show on treatment biopsies causing t-cell infiltration and then you combine with immune checkpoint inhibition you know that might be actually the way to uh the way to the way to really change things yeah no i, I agree with uh with you tom i i think that you know one of the uh things that we're uh talking to uh and trying to pu push a little bit is do a neoagent uh, model all right oh, that's really cool yeah um and I think, you know, that you could actually uh, look at that and do several things because, you know, the other questions, do you upregulate with hormones? Do you actually, what happens there? So you could ask a lot of biological questions and advance the field very quickly by doing a model like that. William, I've learned a lot from this podcast. We're really grateful for your time. Fabulous presentation and really exciting new drug. I think it was exciting, a new thing, as I saw when I was there. I don't know what you thought, Brian. Yeah, again, especially with the background of immune therapy and prostate cancer, right, to actually see data, even if you don't have the PD data and all that, I mean, you, you saw clinical activity, right? It's a great place to start. I'd so. love to see those on treatment biopsies. That neoadjuvant study would be super cool. <laughs> okay. We'll be tapping on your door. I'm, I'm up for it. I'm up for it. Yeah, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. it. See you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.